review of Ilyasa Shabazz's memoir on growing up X. So when you turn to the first page, she says this book is dedicated to all her five sisters, Atala, Kribila, Jamila, Malika and Malak, the twins. And the acknowledgements, the first acknowledgements are to God, obviously, because they are quite religious from what I've read. And I like how she also honours the ancestors. So it could actually shows us that we can, that even the most religious people could still, you know, blend in with the, blend in their African culture. And then the prologue. I think that was the most heartwarming thing I um start start of a biography that I've read, and it was talking about the last Mother's Day she had with Betty. It was nineteen ninety seven, and if you know nineteen ninety seven, that was the year that Betty actually died. And um, it did. It was really emotional reading it because when I saw the year, I was like, I just thought to myself, isn't that when Betty died? And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this, this is this must have been hard to write. And in and in reading, it's just been so. It's not just showing. It's not just um seeing how the, how what. What we'd expect the children of Betty and Malcolm to be, we expect them to be. They they had normal childhood. They had normal relationship with their mum, especially Yasa. Like the way she talks about her relationship with Betty, kind of reminds me of my mum and I. I I think Yasa is a bit of a mummy's girl, which is really cute, and I think she still is. And then um, chapter one is talking about the after the aftermath. Um. That the aftermath being the day that their father sadly was assassinated right in front of them, and then they left. They they were they went with some friends to a family a friend's home, and their mother stayed behind to, you know, for uh, I think, to identify Malcolm's body, and you know it was just really sad. And when they went to their friend's house, Ilyasa talks about how everybody was, everybody's eyes were wet and people were so you know were so upset and you know I can understand because damn you've it's you've 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 got this person who is not only your friend but they've done so much for the community they've impacted they've woken a lot of people up they've actually gonna realize oh my gosh yeah black is beautiful we are intelligent we did have civilization hell we civilized every continent okay we you know, we left the continent even before the other races existed, you know, and and then for them to be killed, and not only to be killed, that right in front of the family, like the audacity, you know, I think I'll be more upset about the fact that the children had to see that, you know, and um, the fact that Yasa kind of remembered, she was... I think, was it four months of being three? And she said she vaguely remembers that day. That goes to show how much of an impact that was. But, um... The fact that they... Growing up as a child, she... I said before, she's... Um, she said she never felt that she lacked the parent figure that every... 
that that most people in single parent households will will experience. I was quite shocked to read that. Or, for, or like you can imply that when you read it and you're thinking, wow, that's a bit, that's different. And I don't mean a different as in like a bad different. That's it's it's amazing. It goes to show that Betty did did she did a lot as a mother especially single mother but when they say single mothers give up a lot she really sat down and she made time with these girls to make sure that they felt loved and i think the bit that makes me laugh is um when she talks about the relationship that she has with each of her five sisters uh, especially when the twins were born malik and malak and i like how she says that she found them cute that they had these small little uh, people with their finger, chubby fingers always in their mouths. And she said she felt a bit gently envious of her two older sisters, uh, Atala and Kribula, that they they each got a baby. Um, I think Atala got Malika and Kribula got um, Malak. And it was really cute how, you know, they they treated them like their own baby dolls, like living baby dolls. And then her mum gave her Jamila, but she wasn't really fun because Jamila was more of like a... Just a little person who would follow her, not really much of her personal baby. And I thought, oh, my God. And how they're every, they're, even though Malika and Malakwa came as a package, obviously being twins, that everybody, even Malika, would treat Malak as the baby as she is. And I thought that was just really cute. It's like... That they... Um, that how the twins literally managed to add on to the love that was there. And I find it quite funny and how their um, room arrangements were. And again, lovely Jamila and Ilyasa share a room. And uh, as described by Ilyasa, it's not that she was messy as such, but if she was taking off her clothes, she would just leave them there for a couple of days up until Ilyasa would go like, no, Jamila, you have to pick up the clothes. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, the Jamila is me. <laughs> Honestly, had my siblings, my sisters been sharing a room with me, I have no... Yeah, I think they probably chucked me out of the room ages ago, but... And then how she... Elyasu was trying to be the boss, and she said, Jamila, you're not coming out of our room until you've picked up the clothes on the, off the floor. And she locked her sister in the room. And then when she, she came back a few minutes later and asked Jamila, had she cleaned the room? She didn't get a response. So she opened the door to find the window open. And, you know... And that's the only way Jamila could have gone out through the window, and that was really funny. And I can't remember how old they were, but I don't think they were even older than... I don't think Jamila was older than 10 yet, and for her to be th- thinking that quick on their feet, you know, it's just so funny. And um, how Artela was the performer in the house, I... I found that I found that really funny. I did. I didn't think Cartel was a performer. See, as I said, we all have our own uh, envision. Uh, uh, how we all have our own um, perceptions of what we'd assume uh, children or fame or, or famous people, people have impacted the world. You know, you'd always assume them to be A, B, C, X, Y, and Z. And I've only seen a few interviews by Artela. And. I would have thought she would be the more reserved one in the family. But to see that she was the just the jerk and the performer in the family, I was like, oh, my God, really? Artela? And uh, Kribilla, if I believe she was the geek of the family, and she was really good at maths, and 
she loved the sciences and she'd keep all the these little caterpillars and any like little creepy crawlies in their room and obviously <laughs> Betty wasn't amused and I'm thinking I don't know how I would have shared a room with Kabila with all those bugs in the room yeah, maybe a butterfly but um having spiders insects all them things hell nah you know I don't want them crawling in my ear and out my nose so <laughs> uh, you know but um it was it, you know I just find it I found it really sweet how she described each of her relationships but and one thing I found really really uh, one thing I found really surprising is I assumed that the fact that they're all okay I wouldn't say it was surprising as such but it was that 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 Kubila and Ilyasa were always at each other's necks and uh in the in the biography Ilyasa came to the conclusion it's because when uh Kabila was nineteen months she was born and she thinks that that's uh, because that being a baby you know you take up all the mummy and daddy's attention because you because your only form of communication is crying when you're hungry crying when you need your nappy change crying when you when you need a bath crying for this that and the other and whereas uh Kabila was yeah almost two and she would be able to at least talk and you know. I think that you could remember that, oh my gosh, my attention was stolen because of this little annoying human. And, um, there were, you know, I remember this bit where she was chasing Ilyasa around the house for whatever reason. They got, and Ilyasa, and I thought, I, thought, I thought it was really funny that Ilyasa uh, thought that um, Kribbler was going to kill her. And I'm thinking, I, don't, I doubt your sister would kill you. I mean, she probably would have given you a slap or, you know, punched you a bit, but... You know, to to go to the extent of killing her, no, I don't think it would be. I don't think it was that bad, but um. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I've gotten to. I think it's chapter three. And uh, she's describing. She's talking about her sisters, and she's saying people always ask her what it's like to grow up in a house full of women. Now, for me, from my perspective. Okay, I have one brother, three sisters. My eldest sister, yeah, each, okay, 7.7 billion people in the world, we're obviously not going to be different, even identical twins, but um, I could definitely say three sisters, wow, like, I get on with each of them differently, like, my eldest sister, yeah, we have a cool relationship, and, um, you know, I feel like we're more alike than what people would assume. And um, in my second sister, despite there being a almost about 15 year age gap, we are so similar yet so different at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, we are annoying each other. We are calling each other this, that, the other. And then my th- third sister, You, you, I don't really say you have to be... But you, the t- the whole banter thing, yeah, it's not really her thing. But then my brother... See, see at least, unlike the Shabazz daughters, I at least have a break. They, they don't have any male family members apart from their uncles and cousins, and they don't see them that very that often. You know, and I'm just thinking, wow. I, can ne- I, I, I honestly can't complain about my family life, you know. And uh, 
she also she also talks about what her her names and her sister's name means. So Artella means gift of God, and she, has, being the oldest child, she had like a certain weight of responsibility, and she was quite observant. And I'm, and I'm thinking I don't know if I should associate that with because she's the eldest child, but I think especially knowing that your parent, your your, your parent is is on their own. You you know you don't have your other parent and. Atal, uh, from again from interviews, Atal is old enough was old enough to remember that her father was once there, and then just gone. So I think that even as young as seven, she was able to kind of think, okay, this is on me. I've got three younger sisters, and then seven months later, she's got an extra two. So now she's got five sisters to look after, and she knows mommy can't always do it on her own. And um, her being the comedian, comedian in the family. Yeah, I can honestly say I was quite surprised. I, I don't know why I always had a feeling it would be Kribilla or Lyasa herself. I don't, know, I, I don't know why, but as I said, we each have our own perceptions of these uh, people. And then, yeah, I think Kribilla is the, is, the um, is the funny one. That she's the brain... I like how she says, as a child, she loved science and nature and she liked finding things. And the volcano from baking soda. Like, how like how many people, how many children do you know who would be like, Mum, Dad, I want to, I want to make a volcano for fun. Like, most children are out, you know, playing football, riding their bicycles, playing knock-down gingers, getting told off by their parents for doing that. Uh, throwing the ball in the neighbour's garden or something, you know, they're doing... No child is going to voluntarily do science, but, you know, not Quibilla. But I always... But there's always that nerd per, the, the nerd in the family, and especially when you've got a big family like the Shabazz. Yeah, I kind of saw it coming. That I'm thinking that one of them is definitely going to be the geek, one of them's going to be the rebel, one of them is going to be the funny one. Another one's going to be reserved. Another one's going to be the chatty one. The class can't kind of get away from the work, you know. I'd say the laid back one. And I think, as I said, the funny bit is that how she used to bring all these little creepy crawlies in the room. Yeah, I agree with Betty. I'm, I wouldn't be so amused if my uh, child just says like, "Mummy, I've got all the, I've got these little insects in this box." I'd be like, "Yeah, you're not. They're not staying in my house." <laughs> Hell, I wouldn't even have the dog in my room. They could sleep downstairs for sure. Oh, yeah, and then Jamila. Definitely the one, one of the sisters that I laughed at the most, especially the part where she, she didn't like um, cleaning up the room. Like, that is so, that's totally me, you know? And rebelling against what your parents or siblings telling you, like, come on, you know. Especially when you've got the one just before you and they're like, oh, because I'm older than you, you're going to have to do this. I'm like, hell no. And, you know, you just rebel. And, the jo- uh, and running out the window, genius. Genius. Oh, and then the twins... I I love them. And then Ilyasa says that she adored the twins as babies and they were like do- little dolls. And then they shoved their fat f- fingers in their mouths. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Yeah, and then the whole thing about Jamil is supposed, uh, supposing to be uh, Elias's baby. And she said, but she was only two years younger than me and seemed decidedly undoll like to me. Yeah, I'm sorry, but if there's a person that's two years younger than me, I don't think I'm going to treat them like a little, as much as of a baby as I would somebody who's five years younger than me. So I don't blame Elias on that one. <laughs> Although that's a bit sad. You know, if you put yourself in Jamila's shoes, but then if you put yourself in Yasha's shoes, the author, you're like, yeah, don't blame you. And then Malika is a person who's quite sweet and smart and real with. And the Tattertail. Yep. <laughs> Especially being the, one of the last, I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I was waiting on that when I was reading it. I'm thinking, now, which one of the twins used to snitch a lot? And I, and I was like, I would love to read who snitched a lot. And it's Malika. We found out she's a snitch. And then Malak, not only being the baby of the twins, but the baby of the family. Now I can, and I can imagine being in a large family like that. You know, you've got five options. Okay, if mum if says no, you've still got five other people who you can ask. And one is bound to say yes. And then you can kind of go, oh, but so-and-so said yes. And because, you know, you went there, they, they're in charge because they're older than me. Like, generally, as a parent, I think, okay, that's, that's, a, that's quite a smart, um, that's a smart reason, you know. And I just, I just found it really, I found it really cute that, um, well, the sisters got to share the room with the with the babies. Atala got to share with Malak. You know, kind of be the the mother figure of the night. You know, I thought that was really sweet. I don't think I would trust my seven year old to stay in the room with the, with the newborn. I'd be kind of skeptical because I'd be thinking, mm, might be curious and start <laughs> start thinking the child's a doll. You know, and probably you know I want I want my infants to stay with me in the room up until they're like one. You know. But I think it was good because it showed them, um, it gave them the responsibility. Although I think that would have come naturally, as I said before, to Atala. I mean, that's what I, th- I just seen that's what most firstborns in the family would do. And Ilyasa is a child. Ilyasa was a thumbsucker. I was actually surprised at that. I know it sounds weird, but, you know, they, they were normal children. And I think we forget that we tend to forget that they, they were normal children and they had normal lives, no matter what their parents did, whether their parents were, um, you know, whether the person's parents is a basketball player, a singer, a famous mathematician. They, they have, the children have normal childhoods, and even the people, that the parents themselves, they also have normal lives, you know. And she was quite a, what did she describe herself as? A rambunctious child. The kind who needed constant distraction in the restaurant to keep her from running, from running into the kitchen and get and getting underfoot, and she was feisty and tough and big for her age. Yeah, even when you, I don't know if you guys have seen that picture, but it's the picture where she's sitting on Muhammad Ali's lap when she's with um her parents and her two older sisters. Is it me? But she does look big for her age. I think she was only one when that picture was taken, but you would think she's a two-year-old. And uh, I thought... So I wasn't surprised when she said that she was quite big for her age, but the thing about her being very active and quite cheeky, 
and she'd ignore everything her mum would tell her. If her mum would tell her to stop, Yasa, well, what did her mum call her? Yasa. She'd be like, Yasa, stop. She wouldn't stop. She'd continue what she was doing, ignore her. But when her mother, I mean, when her father would say, Yasa, she would just stop and she would, you know, you know, listen, she would listen to him. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if she could hear the seriousness in his voice or she just genuinely didn't pay attention, didn't pay, pay attention to anybody that wasn't Malcolm. You know, we'll never know. And I like how she, she loved her thumb so much. The whole pepper thing on the thumb, the hot sauce or the salt, it didn't work. She'd still suck it. I don't know that many people who love their thumb, who love hot sauce on their thumb. Especially a child, because, you know, most children, they'll be like, oh, mummy or daddy's too hot. And, you know, they'll be doing that. They'll be doing that thing. <laughs> and they'll be like, water, water. <laughs> you know. It's quite mad. It is quite mad. Oh, man. And I... Th- but... What I find really cute is that she... She always... She's quite an affectionate person. And she said, I, ne- I always needed a hug from... A hug or a kiss from mummy. I went right up and took it. So she knows what she... So I like her. She was, from even as a young age, she knew what she wanted. Like she, she knew what she wanted. And if she wanted it, she took it. And also her, kind of like her, Kabila not forgiving her for being for taking the attention away from her at 19 months. She wasn't really fond of, <laughs> of Jamila either. And their babysitter, Gail, uh, she said that every time she heard Jamila crying, she knew it was Elias who, who made her cry. <laughs> no lie, but I thought it was really funny. I thinking, oh, that's just so mean. And then you think, oh, but again, they, would, they were children, so... Children are mean, and you, I mean, you see adults as well, adult siblings as well. They, they still have their own, they still have their own squabbles or you know that kind of thing. Uh but it, you know, I think. It, I think this is. This is amazing because she's not just talking about, at that time she she didn't really know herself as the child of Malcolm X. She, Malcolm X was daddy at home, you know, and even when people would say. Oh, Malcolm X's children. They'd be like, oh, okay. They wouldn't perceive, uh, um, receive the uh, as they do today. And I think that was really good of Betty because being able to talk about him not as daddy, uh, not as Malcolm X, but oh, you know, your father did this, and she didn't talk about his works as much. She talked about him as a person and always in the present tense. I don't know how many parents. I don't know if parents who've lost their spouses while their children are young years the present tense but you know i think it's most people's automatically to use it's automatic to use the past tense but um yeah and then they went to they went to camp uh jamila uh, and Yelyasa, and um they were the only black girls at their camp and what i found interesting is that the people the camp counselors they they found that they were the daughters of Malcolm X. And I can imagine that is just very tense. You're like, oh, oh my God. You know, everybody would expect, especially if, even if they're just five and seven, you'd expect they'd say something like, oh, um, America was founded in genocide. You know, I'd, I'd, expect, I'd be expecting to hear that constantly. America's founded in, in you know, when um, every time you pledge allegiance to the flag, oh, do you know this flag is based on slavery? You know, but no, they were just normal children and, you know, just trying to have fun. And, 
I'll never forget, I think it was the 4th of July parade. And um, they, they were just standing by, by the side of the roads. And then Elias had uh, said she remembers somebody. She doesn't know, who, she did, she, up until today, she doesn't know whose hand it was. But somebody went and touched her hair. And, you know, especially if it's white people. You, black people, we have this thing. We don't like, we're not really... We're not really bothered when it's black people touching our hair, but when it's white people, because of historical reasons, we just get mad. And bear in mind, Elias was seven, and she said she didn't understand why, but she was like, why the hell is this person touching my hair? You know? And then somebody went, oh, it's soft! And I'm like, um, okay. But when I was reading, I'm like, okay, even if it's not, what's your business? Why do you need to be touching a seven-year-old's hair for? It's just a bit weird, especially when you're an adult. I mean, you know, I don't know about in those days, but I know certain kids would be like, oh, that's just so weird. I'm going to tell my mum you touched me. <laughs> but, um, you know, these, from, this, from all the stories that she has in, in this memoir, they, those children were naive and I can't see them doing such rubbish, but I know, I know possibly... I know a few children who would have said that, and you're like, wow. Okay. Uh, another one of my fav- uh, favourite moments is when she's a teenager, and I, she went to go and visit her relatives, and she was about 15, and then her uncles didn't let her go out um, of the house without them, and then she went off and snuck, uh, snuck to meet a boy. And I'm thinking, whoa, rebel. And I'm thinking, yeah, like most of us, we wouldn't expect, you know, children of Betty and Malcolm, you know, rebelling. But again, they, they, they were children, they, they were normal. And, I, you know, I'm just every time I kept reading more stories, I'm thinking, but they were children and they were exploring. Like any other child, they ask, they have these questions. Oh, but why can't I do this? Why is it this way? Why, why, can't, it, why can't it be my way? You know, so I don't know why we'd ex- I don't know why some of us would expect them to be a- any different at that age, but um, I was thinking, wow, Yasu, sneaking out with a boy. You know, I would have thought, especially the fact that her uncles were so protective. I didn't think it was possible to sneak out the house, but she managed to. But then she got caught, and I was just I could feel the tension when I was reading the. And like, I couldn't stop reading. I was reading it in the, at the bus stop and I was just there shaking. I'm like, oh my God. And like, I wonder what her, her grandpa, grandfather's going to do. And yeah, you can... He was really mad. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't happy about it. And, uh, you know, like all, te- like all teen... Well, a lot of people, you know, when they look good in something, if it, you know, you've got a good body, you definitely want to show it off. Not too much, but, you know, just a nice amount. And she... I remember she said she was wearing shorts and a belly top. And then out of nowhere, she just says, my mum's car pulled up. And she said, yeah, so your, your father would not approve of this, of this dress code. Come in and change. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I had this, I had this um, thought that I'm thinking, just imagine like, her mum was just driving around the, the neighbourhood, checking to see what the girls were up to. And then if she saw them doing something, we went to places, she's just like, hey, get in the car. We've got to talk about this at home. Wow, that would really that would be so funny. But um, I think the most inspiring part of the book is when Ilyasa talks about her mum's graduation, her her mum getting her doctorate, 
Now, she was, I think she was in her mid-30s when she got it. And that's amazing because one, one she, she's a single parent. So it's all on all the economic, uh, economic uh, areas she has to take care of by herself. There's no one else to help her. Secondly, she also needs to provide the love to the children. And even if there is, even if there is another parent in the house, you know, it's nice, to, it's nice that you have both your parents' love, you know, mum and dad. And then third of all, and third, she did all this in another state. So they lived in New York, but Betty would drive to Massachusetts. I, I, I don't know how she would... I don't know how you could, one could do that. So she, I think is it she'd drive there on Wednesday and then be back by Saturday or Sunday. And then, yeah, she'd spend um Sunday, Mon- uh, Sunday Monday, and then she'd leave on Tuesday evening or Wednesday evening and be back, you know, it would continue up until she actually got her doctorate. And I just thought, what? And all this, she also had to look for childcare. So, you know, Betty had a lot on her plate and I can't imagine how she managed to keep her sanity. You've got education. No, first of all, you've got the children. Not one, not two, not three, six. Your husband's not there anymore. Okay, so that's already an economic uh, pressure all on you. Then you've got your education. You want to pursue your education. Oh, okay. But then you've also got work. How do you do it? Because working every penny counts. There's six children, that's six miles to feed. And then plus your own, that's seven. And then you need the babysitter too. And then to keep the roof over their heads, the electricity bill, the water bill. Wow. So this is why I... Okay, this is a bit off topic. But this is why I always get upset when people have a lot to say about single parents, especially single mums. I don't know why, but people have... They feel... They feel there's a reason to disrespect single mums, especially especially single black mothers. I don't know, I don't know why. I don't know what what it is about single black mums, but everybody automatically assumes oh it's because, you know, she was only twenty one when she had her son. Okay, even if she was. The father could have stayed. I've seen people at forty have cho- children with their husband, and the husband leaves even though they're married. And he just ups and leaves. Or even the mum, she could up and leave. And I just think not every person in their situation chose to be in it. Not every single per- single black mum has chosen to be in a situation. And I, can prom- I promise you that if you asked a hundred single mothers, black mothers, let's, go, let's specifically say black mothers, ask a uh, hundred single black mothers, you're going to find a few saying that they would do. Their husbands work um, abroad or they work, from, they work far away. So they spend most of their time in whichever city they work. And, it's, and instead of commuting, you know, waking up at three every morning and then coming home about nine o'clock, wherever they work, they live. So technically they are a single mother. They may not have the economic pressure as a woman without support if her husband's dead. But they're still raising the children by themselves, even if the dad gets to pick up the phone and FaceTime them every evening. She's, st- she's still technically in the household by herself with her children. And then let's not forget divorce. 
some people's love only lasts three years or seven years. You know, what's, you know, and it's a shame that it's only lasted that short amount of time, but it happens. Some people find love and, you know, it's literally till death did them, you know, does them part. And then other people, it's only three months, other people, it's 10 years. And single, yeah, a single parent, but they could still divide the the custody, you know. The mum takes them 70% of the time, the dad takes them 30% of the time, and that 30% is possibly, like, every half-term and school ho- and school holiday. Like, six-week holiday, they go to whichever... Uh, they're going to spend the whole six weeks or seven weeks with dad. So he's also still a single... He's also a single parent, even though he may not live with his children, but when they're with him or the child is with him, he's a single parent because that, he's the sole carer for that child, even if it's that, for that six weeks or 12 weeks. He's a single parent. And yes, I'm not saying that there aren't single women, uh, single women who chose to be in their position. They're giving their child's father or ex-husband a hard, a hard time because, you know, they're, and they're, they're dragging the children into the argument, which is really wrong. But maybe they got hurt in the relationship, but they're using the children, oh, if you don't do this, you know, you're not going to see your children for the, next, for the rest of this month. Yeah, I don't feel sorry for the mum for doing that, it, you know, if she's having a hard time. But I do feel sorry for the children who are having a hard time because their mum's putting them in such a situation. But that's not every mum's story. And even if it's 90% of the mums, which is, again, it's a ridiculous number, 90% does not equivalent to 100%. So I hope Betty Shabazz's story... And all these other women who've been single, who, are, who have been or are single parents, you can actually understand that they didn't choose to be in their situation. Not all of them. Now, back to, to the book. Yeah, so Betty, she, she took a bachelor's degree in public health and then a master's degree in early child care, early childhood education. And... I just can't imagine going to school again, you know, while working. Well, generally, I, I, I've said this so many times, but when, I'm, when I finish uni, I don't want to ever do with school again, ever. I am fed up. But, you know, Betty wasn't... You can see she was a fighter. I mean, there's even... Not just in life, but even... There was two. There was one book time before her actual death. There was a time that she was close to death, but she fought. And even when she was dying, she should have died on the day her accident happened. But she survived. I think is it three weeks? She was like twenty two days. You know, you know, it's that it's that May Gemini spirit, as I call it. I was born twenty eighth of May. I was born three days after. It's that May spirit, you know, that kept her fighting. But anyway, let's get back to the book. But um. But, but Betty also as a, as a mum she was she wasn't just a mum but she was a role model, and as I I've seen interviews with three of the daughters. Yes, it's been it's it's three of them, Artala, Ilyasa, and Malak. I don't really hear much from Jamila or Kabila or Malika, but um. I think for what's it, Artella because she's the oldest. Obviously, she has the most most of the memories, but um, 
you could see that they not not only admire them her mother because she's their mother, but they could see that she she impacted the world. Even if it if not if not the whole world, then her community, and um. She was part of. They were part of this Jack and Jill um, uh, club, and they were giving African American children scholarships, which I thought was. I thought was really good, you know. Which I'm surprised. I don't know if England has that, but you know, I need to check up on that because that's not fair if we don't have such things. But um, she was practic- practicing what Malcolm was preaching. You know what the Nation of Islam was preaching. You know about the community group ep- economics. And she, and she wasn't just um, restricting her good works in America, but she also went to the continent of Africa and did it. Because she supported single, uh, is it yes, single um, poor mothers in China, you know. I can say this woman has earned her place in heaven, and you know, I don't know. I'm not going to decide, but from reading this, okay, she had her thoughts. She's a human being, but all her, a lot of her deeds. And I think that's enough for her to earn her place in heaven. That she has done, she has done a lot. And yeah, it's all good to talk about oh Malcolm X, but let's not forget what Betty has done herself. And I think the the part that makes me laugh, I remember from watching the uh, the movie Malcolm X, the one with Denzel Washington in, and Angela Bassett, and. Uh, the early days of Malcolm and Bessie's relationship, which I thought was really cute, when they first met each other after, um, his after the first time she saw her, she saw his speech, you know, when she said she noticed this thin, long man who looked like he was in a hurry, and then she was talking to him in the movie about um, eating healthy, and she was talking to the the girls in the nation about uh, eating healthy and having a balanced diet, and she even after leaving the nation, she still kept that up with the girls like. Every as a treat, they would go out as a family, and then they'd have um, they'd get like this chicken. They get this chicken, and they'd obviously have to have salads. And then mum was so when they'd have cookies, mum was so, you know, careful about the amount of sugar in it, and she you know, if you know the right amount of uh, barley and all that stuff. And I'm like, damn, when I'm talking about a treat, I am going to have Harry Bows, Oreos. Oreo milkshake to dump the Oreos in, <laughs> Cocoa Pops, and a cake from Cake Box. Because Cake Box cake is maravillosa. That's not the point. But this woman, even as a treat, she was still health conscious. That is dedication. I can, you know, it's no wonder the girls look so healthy. And then there's just me. There's a big question mark on that. But um, that's a really good mum. And you know, even if you do give your children full fat um Coca Cola, there's nothing wrong with that because really diet coke diet coke is just disgusting anyway, and I think you're punishing your child for doing that. Anyway, not the point. But um when I read the book when I when when I was reading Elias's observations of her mother, this bear in mind this this is not just her talking about Betty's mother as a person from what the media sees. Remember, because this is from the daughters, they got to see their mother, what the cameras don't see. You know, you once you understand their childhood, you kind of go, oh my God, I, wow, this is so amazing. You see another side of them that you didn't see before. And 
for that, I think, you know, um, this is going to sound weird, but I love, out of all the civil rights people, you know, and, and you know, the couples and all that stuff, out of Malcolm and Betty, I don't know, but I, I, I'm leaning towards Betty more. I know that sounds rude, but not that I don't appreciate what Malcolm did and his legacy, but Betty, she's a symbol for... She should be the she should be the symbol for International Women's Day. I don't care. Every March eighth, she should appear on the flag, and she should be the the epitome of womanhood. Because she shows us what women can do, and that's the back. The, yeah, they are the backbones of the family. Because I want I don't want to say men would give up, but I'm not saying that they don't. Because there are good single fathers that their spouses, their wives have died, and you know, they really try their, their best to put their children, to give the children much as, as much love as they need, even though, and they try to overcompensate because they don't have their mum anymore. But nobody's, every, a lot of people support single dads, if you've noticed that. But with, bet, with single mums, no matter what race, it's always just like, oh, it's just expected of women. Even though a lot of, there's a number of women who I've seen and I've heard from news and all of that stuff, they don't really do what a parent should do. Let's eliminate the whole gender thing. A parent, you know, you're meant to put your child first before anybody else. And I've seen a number of parents, they don't do that. So with the women, I've noticed it, it's almost kind of expected of them. But when it's men, oh, fantastic, this, that and the other. But what about women? We don't get paid the, we don't get paid the same amount as men. This is a black woman we're talking about. In the 60s, okay, she, yeah, she may not have lived in the South, but still, there was a lot of issues. I, this is even before, okay, this is during the time that the Civil Rights Bill had just been signed and all that, but black women still have a hard time now. But she managed to get through all the prejudice of us, you know, the prejudging of her skin and gender. And then about single mothers, that's a big burden. And remember, she's a Muslim woman. And, you know, the media had already already had the negative, started having negative perceptions of them, especially after the whole uh, thing that they they said that the Nation of Islam was preaching, what was it? What was the word they used? Black supremacy. Well, yeah, they, they were. Black is beautiful. Black people should separate and get their own economic system, have their own banks and schools. Well, I as black uh, as Malcolm X said, it's not black supremacy in the terms of being anti-white. It's black intelligence because the Chinese community do it, the Pakistani community do it. You know, and these are the whole all the burdens that she had at the back of her mind, and she witnessed her husband's assassination. And they got threatened before, and then a week before that, remember their house got firebombed. Because Elijah wanted his house back, which I think is petty. You're living in a mansion in Chicago, and there's this, there's this nice young man and woman. You have four children, two on the way, and you want a five-bedroom house back. And you probably out-earn that family. If you put the family salary together, you out-earn them by five times. You, you, get to, you see what I mean? And they got threats from so many people. She knew her, her, her and her husband were being followed. Now, if you ask me, that's Superwoman. Betty Shabazz is Superwoman. Superwoman was written about Betty Shabazz in advance. 
I'm telling you. I am telling you. Because how many people do you know would put... Okay, I wouldn't say, I'm not saying she didn't put her life on hold for her children. She did. Because a lot of people go, oh, but she was only 30 when her husband was assassinated. She could have married again. Well, yeah, but if she loved him and felt that she couldn't find another man like that, is you know, you kind of make it seem like she could have just snapped her fingers or clapped her hands, look under the bed, and then all of a sudden uh, a guy is good or, be- or better than Marco would be there. It's not that easy. And maybe she did find, but she was like, no, I want to be 100% focused on my children, bef- you know, before. And then by the time she realised... She's like, oh, you know what? I'm not bothered. I was, I'm quite happy being the wife of Malcolm X, though, even though he's six feet under. And for me, I think, I think Betty Spurs also needs her own holiday internationally. It's you know, if black people aren't celebrating Betty Spurs Day, I don't know what we're doing, but we need to start it this year, this year. Okay, and to press forward okay if you have the book there's 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 a lot of photos from Elias Elias childhood and if you check from page 110 there's about there's about okay one two three there's about seven eight pages of her her as a child and her, fam- and her family. And the first p- picture is obviously of her parents and Muhammad Ali in that picture where she's on his lap. And uh, the next page, you turn around, she's with her two older sisters. And I like what she commented where she says they they were in their back, uh, they were in their back garden. And, she, well, you can see her sisters wearing dresses and the, the scarf. She said, um, Mummy couldn't get those scarves and dresses on me. I probably would have snatched them off. And I could and when you see her face as a baby, you can see that she was quite I won't say grumpy baby, but she was that feisty baby. Well, as she did say earlier on in the book, she was feisty. And I could imagine her being so aggressive while while they were trying to get her to do anything. Okay, y'all, so it's time for bath time. And I could imagine her going, No <laughs> You know those babies who cry before they get before they when they know that it's bath time and they get they hear the water and they just start crying. I can imagine that being her. And another picture that I actually really liked is where she's with Atala and she's just, you know, lying on her lap and I don't know if Asilyasa with her she just happened to be blinking and they took a picture of her, of that at the moment or she's looking down at Elyasa, but I thought it was really cute, you know. Quite sweet. And then there's another picture of her mum with the twins in 1968. So that was, okay, on their... Oh, that was their their dad's anniversary, third year, memorial. And then there's another picture on this next page with all six of them. And so you've got got Jamila and Ilyas at the front, and they look like twins, to be honest. I'll post a picture on my on the Instagram page. But if you look at Elias and Jamila, they look like twins. And then at the back, you've got Atala oh, and and Kabila. And then you've got the twins. You can clearly see that who the twins are. They're the babies with the little uh, fluffy pigtails of theirs. 
and if you skip three number of pages, it's when she's older, and she was considering being a model, and I'm actually surprised they didn't sign her because if you've seen Ilyasa, even even now she still looks quite good, you know. If I had my own modeling agency, I would hire her. So. And I don't know if you've seen pictures of the of all all of the girls. Have you noticed that Malak and Jamila look alike? I don't know if that's just me, but they do look alike. But then when they were, when as children, Elias and Jamila looked like twins, and I think that was really funny. And then there's a picture of Ilyasa making cookies, her favorite, which I actually was surprised. I didn't know she was a cookie cookie holic. She said she loved her cookies, but yeah, she was at Camp Bexy Cox in July nineteen seventy, and she's with she's with two other girls, and she's got her little headscarf, little sleeveless top, a sleeveless shirt, you know, and speaking of cookies, Elias and cookies, what I found so cute is that she has a memory of her. And her, 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 when she'd be looking out of the window to see Malcolm coming home, and it would be like late in the evening, around seven or eight, and she'd see a car pull up and she'd run to the door, and then she remembers this being lifted up and then put in um, Malcolm, one of Malcolm's arms, and then they'd go straight to the kitchen and have a plate of cookies together, and then they'd watch the news. I thought that was so cute, and I'm thinking, gosh, it must have been such a lovely memory, how you can remember that and you're... You know, not you haven't even turned three. Do I remember before three? Okay, probably do, but you know, it must have been a daily routine for her to remember that much. You know, and I think that you know, and you, at the front of the book, you can actually see Malcolm holding Eliasa, and I have a have have a feeling that it was quite. I have a feeling that he was. He was quite close with her, and had he been here a lot longer and actually seen her, seen well, also the the other four when they were older, I'm pretty sure her and Quibilla would have been the daddy's girls of the family. I don't know why, but I just I have that vision. Who else does? You could comment below, or when I when I post this later, but um. Let's let's okay. Enough of the photos, now. <laughs> I'm that type of person who loves looking at people. Well, photos in in general, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And then she was talking about when her uncle, of uh, one of her, yeah, Uncle Wilfred, he come to spend. He come. He came to spend time with the girls, and Elias had gotten close to him. But then, he had his own family to get back to. I don't know. He stayed there for quite. Sometime I think it was months, and then he's and then he had to leave because he had his own family, which is understandable. But I think Uncle Wilfred also deserves his own uh, applause because while while everybody you know was told to like abandon the Shabazz family, yeah, even Malcolm's brothers, they defied the the orders of Elijah, and, you know. Went to check on his nieces, and you may say, "Oh, but that's expected of them." Yeah, but remember, um, you know, Muhammad Ali did, you know, kind of 
leave Malcolm in the thing because in the wind. I don't. I can't say it's entirely his fault because you know, from purpose and he, from comfort in the nation. You know, all these brothers having a purpose. You know, in the country that you know has suppressed them even before America was a country when there was still British colonies and Spanish and French colonies. You know, so he's thinking, oh, well, I've got purpose now, and. I can't really... I don't think he wasn't... He was not his friend, but he wasn't as close as he as he was when they started, which is really sad, but... Back to Uncle Wilfred, uh, Malcolm's brother. It was... It was really sad how... Um, when Elyasa got really upset and she, and she was thinking, oh, but why did he have to leave... Why can't he spend time longer with us? And, you know, I just, I was just thinking maybe she just thought, oh, but this is Daddy's brother, so he's the closest person, the closest memory we have with Daddy. Oh, and now he's leaving. First of all, the real Daddy goes, and then Daddy's brother also has to go back. Oh. I felt really... I felt really emotional reading that, and I was like, oh. But, um... It was also from this when, when they were you know as children do you play on the in the neighborhood, and I remember she was talking about this neighbor of hers talking about her, her dad in a bad, in a bad way, and I like how Lyasa goes ten year old self wonders why someone's mother didn't, you know didn't respect her and she's like what did daddy ever do to her you know and I also have that question because I also ask that question, what did Malcolm do to her. You know, he didn't force you to drink and become an alcoholic, you know. And I'm not saying that, you know, that all the alcoholism is helpful because, you know, some people use alcohol in it as a distraction. Like some people use food as a distraction, but um, from their own personal struggles. But, it, you know, it's still not it's still not his fault. <laughs> You know, and as I said, because now you've got you've gotten a personal, uh, a personal perspective uh, perspective of the of the of the ex children. You're thinking, you can actually you actually sympathise and you you actually feel yourself that you were there. So now I'm reading, I can understand. I feel. I feel a more personal connection to Malcolm. I don't. I don't, that sounds weird, but all six of the girls, I feel a personal connection with them. Because I've got to see a side of them that the the world doesn't you know the world doesn't put on Insta or you know in newspapers or whatever. But you know what, guys, this book is a must buy, and it was a must read. And tag Ilyasa Shabazz is actually on Instagram. It's at Ilyasa Sh- Sh- Shabazz. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know how to spell Shabazz, it's one B and two Zs. Yeah, I kept getting that wrong. I kept putting two Bs and two Zs. No, it's just one B, two Zs. And, oh, I'll never forget. In one of the, when she was in, okay, what you guys were called junior high for, for the American view uh, uh, followers. But British, we'd call it secondary school. I'll never forget when they were watching Roots. 
1977 version, of course, for those who don't know, the, the 77 version. And it was, well, I've watched both the versions of 2017 and 1977, but it is quite brutal, you know. First of all, you you see Kunta Kinte and his parents, Bintan and Morokinte, you know, being a lovely family with their three other, well, their, their four sons, Kunta, and I forgot his three brothers' names. And then all of a sudden, at the age of 16, was it 15, that he is kidnapped and he's sold. I think, you know, that's so painful. And he's, really, he's beating like an animal. He's called Toby. Toby, what was the name? Walla. And then... He also also felt the pain when she was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, this guy's been brutally whipped and, you know, hanging from a beam, forced to submit. You know, that that's what it was. You know, this whole, this whole slavery thing, yeah, it was just... Well, it's just got... Let's, let's just say, guys, it's, gone, it's come back to haunt them, slowly but surely. Anyway. But... Uh, but... Uh, these girls, all six of them, they got a chance to go to private schools. I'm not saying that private schools are any better than public schools because I think not all, but a certain number of private schools, the only do quote-unquote better is because there's about 10 children in the class, whereas, you know, normal public schools, 30, 33 children in the class. So whereas you've got 10 children, you can tell one to shut up or go to the headmaster or mistress's office. With 30 children, you haven't got the time to send... 14 children out of the class for disruptive behaviour and you don't even have an assistant. In a private school, I think you do have an assistant. Don't quote me on that. Um, Let me double check, but I'm pretty sure they do because they've got the money to afford it. And your children probably don't even have that much time to be distracted because they're encouraged to do things like swimming, violin, orchestra, running, rugby, uh, the horse, horse riding, you know. Whereas in the public school, running you got athletics, swimming. No, you'd be lucky to have swimming. Athletics, football, basketball, rugby, depending on the area you're from. Because if it's if your school's in Greenwich, hmm, you're lucky to get it. But if it's Bexley Heath, yeah, of course there's rugby because it's predominantly white. I know it sounds weird, but yeah, it's predominantly white. And then you wonder why there aren't. There are hardly any black people in the rugby room, but that's not a. That, that's not a, That's another topic for another day. But um, while showing the good parts of her childhood, she also shows the bad parts, and I don't know if I really should share it a bit, but I don't think she wouldn't want to share it if she hadn't written it in her book, and she was at a party, and she went off with a boy, and yeah, he. Yeah, it's safe to say that he raped her. And I'm just like... I'm like, damn, I have a similar... I had a similar mindset to Ilyasa because I think she was about 13, 14. I think she was 13 when this happened. And I don't think at 14 I would have got the message. I know my parents, especially my mom, mainly my mom would have hammered me, don't go with the boy, a boy alone or don't go with a male alone. Don't go with the male alone. 
I still, even if she would tell me why, but I still wouldn't get it at the, at the moment when the boy, if a boy came up to me, even if he didn't have bad intentions and we, nothing happened, you know, my, my mother would have told me, don't go with the boy, don't go with the boy. Yes, yeah, so sorry about that. This is part two because this is this is actually quite long, but um, yeah. Well, there's a part in, although we get to see the good side of um this for Baz so specifically Elias's childhood. We also see the part where reality really slapped in the face, and even though your parents or parent, you know, if you if you're, if you're unfortunate and you only have one. You know, no matter how how many times they try and hammer it into you, some of us are so naive. And I thank God that I had never been in a position to say that anybody has ever taken advantage of me. I thank God. Because there's one thing I've noticed about Uyasa as a child. I I, I was no different from her. No, I'm only... No, I'm 18 in three months. Well, yeah, just... Yeah, in three months. And um, I can truly say that I started actually getting reality at, like, about 15. Like, officially. At 12, yeah, I knew that it's, you know, babies aren't just delivered from a stalk. I do know that, you know, not everybody with a smile in their, on their face is generally your friend. And not every person who looks mean is generally a nasty person. And you can't trust people, even in your own family. So, yeah, I wouldn't have got that at 13, even. But at 15 is when I started realising, hell, this world is a pretty bad place. You know, there's a lot of good. I'm telling you, there's a lot of good in this world, but it's a really bad place. And reading it, as I said, that Ilyasu is quite, well, not is, was quite naive, kind of like me, early in my teens. You know how we, for the, all of my sisters out there, you know when your mums and dads, and if you have elder siblings, you had those aunties and uncles who were, you, who were really cool and giving you all the advice, and they're like, make sure you don't stay in, the, in an awkward area with a person of the opposite gender. And they try to hammer it into you. Well, Elias was at this party. I think her sister Jamila was there. Was it equivalent? One of her sisters, I think it was Jamila. And I don't want to keep flicking through the pages, but I think it was Jamila. And there was this boy. I think he was meant to be the DJ. He had. The, he looks really friendly. And then he's like, I need to go and get CDs. Do you want to come with me? He said, yeah. And and then he kept saying, "Oh, don't worry, we're close, we're close." And she's like, "Dude, we're like really far now." And it was too, and she was she didn't know where to go, so she couldn't turn back. And then they get to this place all of a sudden, this building, and then the guy just like starts threatening her, and he's like, "Right, start pulling your shorts down." I think she was wearing a short skirt, and she's just like, "The hell!" And I'm like, "Well, you know what happened next? You know, I don't want to." say the word quite a graphic description and i'm thinking that must i didn't i I I don't know if she said it hurt but yeah she said it was quite weird and it was not how she expected and you know it was painful and i'm thinking oh my god yeah so 
really oh my god and i'm just i I just think at that moment you know i well we've never been to heaven obviously but i just think thinking if your if family members are looking up for you which i do think they do i do think you know all the people in heaven well and hell they, they they're with you especially your family your close family members I could imagine. I'm thinking. What? Imagine if Malcolm, Malcolm seen that. I'm pretty sure he. He was like, "Damn, someone messing with my child." I, 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 I bet you one hundred percent. He was looking down from it. Or he may not have been. Oh, he could have been next to her and just thought, "Damn, someone is messing with my child, and I can't physically do anything. I can maybe." I don't know, try and poke her spiritually and say, you know, this guy's bad news. But it, you know, I'm pretty sure he's like, damn, I can't protect my daughter from this. What the hell are we going to do? Like, and then also thinking about Yasa, like thinking, damn, I should have just stayed at the party. God, this, you know, I can generally say, I think her, that really took her innocence away from her. And, oh, you know, so. It's, it's such a... I don't know if her... I wonder if her mum knew about that day. I don't think she told her mum, actually. I think she did. I think she did. She, I said she didn't tell her mum, but... um. Yeah. But what also makes me laugh is that when she used to go... When her mum used to take them to the mosque, she had this little boyfriend when she was about 10 or 11. You know when you had those boyfriends in primary school and you were, like, 9, 10, 11, and you start, you'd be kissing them... In the in the cloakroom, <laughs> yeah, that's what she had a little boyfriend of her age, and I'm like, damn, these girls really did have a childhood, despite all that rubbish that was happening around them. Like, it's it's I thought it was really funny, and <laughs> oh, and and Yasa herself, oh man, I can literally imagine her as as a child. I'm thinking, damn, like if. If I'm my age yet, and she was, and the age she, whichever dumb question she asked at that age, you know, I'll be thinking, if I was my age back in the 70s, and Yasa was asking me such a question at the age of 12 or 13, I'll be like, damn, you are really naive, sister. Really? But then I'll be thinking, but damn, I was that dumb at 13. No, seriously, I was, I was quite dumb. I'm surprised, not, I'm surprised people didn't take a, advantage of that um but yeah <laughs> oh man it, this is it's just really funny as well and i think as i said the funny thing about her sneaking off with her boyfriend when she went to visit her family in the bronx so funny oh man yeah so this is really cute and when she's okay this is now when she's slightly older when she goes she wants to go she wants to go to Spelman she wants to go to HBCU and I don't blame her because when I read about a lot of my heroes okay maybe not all of them are my heroes but when I read a lot about these black historical black figures I'm thinking damn to attend the same school as they did, and as I told you, I told you guys that, well, if I do have the funds, then I'll probably go. But I'm not interested in doing another exam again, and I don't know what else I would get another undergrad degree in. And I'm not, 
a hundred grand for, you know, for school fees for a year, for four years? Hell no. You know, unless I were a millionaire, but that's going to take a while. So, you know, maybe not an all girls university, but definitely HBCU. I could feel her, you know, the excitement that she wanted, but the disappointment, because her mum couldn't afford it, obviously, you know. Most parents, a lot of parents can't afford to to take their children to university. That's why we do all these loan rubbish and we get in debt. But, um, you know, I felt this book, you can actually understand because, as I said, these are just normal childhood events and it's not superficial. These things, these are the ones that, these things happen. You know these things. These things happen to uh, as as to mo- to most children. But um, yeah. And it ends. She ends the book when she's talking about uh, her mother's death. And I think and okay, obviously it's the saddest thing, but. Her mother, how her mother dies. If you haven't seen on the internet, well, her mother died in the fire, okay, because she hadn't. Uh, Betty, Betty and Malcolm have three grandchildren Malcolm Latif, Shabazz. The other one's Malik. And I've forgotten the, the granddaughter's name, which is really bad. But yeah, there's three grand, there's three. Shabazz's grandchildren. And sadly, I don't remember the girl's name, which sounds a bit rude. Oh, there you go. Betty Bahia. Which is the same name as Betty. This is very inventive. So you've got Malcolm and Malik, which were Malcolm, which were Malcolm X's names. Remember, he was Malcolm, born Malcolm Little, but then changed his name to El Haj Malik El Shabazz. Then you've got Betty, which is Betty's actual name. And then Bahia... Her name after her pilgrim to Mecca. And it's also Quibilla's middle name. Really inventive, these people. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, you know. Reason, like, reason family names. I think it's quite cute, but I'm just thinking... I just imagine if Malcolm was still there, you know, he'd be like, Malcolm, really? Oh, no, I'm talking about my nephew. <laughs> or, you know, just like, oh, okay. Or you go, Betty, oh, no, I'm talking about my daughter, mummy. I wouldn't call you... Or oh, Ina Mark go, oh no, I'm talking about our granddaughter. <laughs> I thought it was really cute. That, you know, all three of the grandchildren are named after their grandparents. But um how how Betty died in the fire exactly is because this grandson Malcolm Latif. Yeah, grandson Malcolm Latif was being taken out of home to home because Kabila was convicted for an alleged plot to kill Farrakhan. And listen, guys, I don't know if you guys have watched the Who Killed the Malcolm X six-part documentary, but whoever came up with that stupid thought that Louis Farrakhan killed, <laughs> killed Malcolm X, you're idiots. Now, yeah, it may have been people in the Nation of Islam who... Uh, Coincide, coincide with the with the FBI and said, yeah, let's take out Malcolm because he's this red, yeah, what they call, yeah, they, they called him this red nigger, you know, he, he's getting on my nerves because 
yeah, we get that the Nation of Islam was is a black nationalist organization, but in every organization or every community, yes, even the Chinese communities and Indian communities, you got sellouts. Except the the only difference is they ostracize their people. They don't put it on the internet. We do, which is bad. We gotta stop doing that. But um, to say Farrakhan did it, this is the same guy who talks about black men and women uniting. Why in the hell would this man then go and start shooting? This guy hadn't even gone up the ranks yet to even have people listen to him. Now, had he been at Malcolm's level at that time, because remember, he was a national minister. Now, had he been at that level, you'd go, okay, maybe. But he wasn't. So I hope you guys felt stupid to believe that. I don't want to use that word, but I hope you do, for those who believe it. And for those who really thought that because they were told, not because, you know, they're trying to start some trouble, well, it's not true. Um, if, it w- if it were people from the nation who were plotting against Malcolm, I think they poisoned Elijah Muhammad against Malcolm. So if we are going to say it was Elijah Muhammad who... Or did Malcolm X's assassination with, assassination with the FBI? It, it may be because, remember, that Elijah had people he was, you know, kind of like a king or a queen. They have their advisors. Do you have the royal advisors? And, you know, according to a lot of people, they were kind of like the royal family. How we treat the queen and her family? Yeah, that's what they were like. So they were poisoning him. And then, well... I'm sorry, but a grown man. This man is, bear in mind, he's like about 30 years older than Malcolm. So three decades almost of experience. This man was an adult when Malcolm was born. So my question is, as a person who was an adult by the time Malcolm was born, why would you not use your extra 20 to 30 years more maturity to ask him, Malcolm, are these things true, what people are saying to me? Other than... Getting uh, making people ostracize him. There's no wonder the poor man left that nation. I don't think he wanted to. And there's and and there's rumors that saying that he wanted to join back uh, to join in. I don't. I'm not surprised if I don't know if it's true or not. But I'm not surprised if he wanted to join, re rejoin the nation. Because you can see that he really loved the organization more than anything. And if you watched the movie, he said he'd want he wanted to die for it. But again, not the point. But, you know, so Quibilla was locked up for the plot against Farrakhan. And I've watched a documentary where Yasser was saying, no, it was an interview when she said it was, that's, it was probably fake. It's fake news because Quibilla was the one who wouldn't even kill an insect in the house. She'd be keeping them for her science things. And not even to test, to test on them, to keep them safe and all that. So... You know, so that's the reason why Malcolm Latif was living with his five other aunts and then Betty. And then they tried to explain to him that mummy's un. And even then, I think even after she had been released, she was, still wasn't stable enough to get to get full custody of Malcolm. But then when he didn't understand, obviously, because he, he was 12, was it 11? he was 12 he still not get it because he wanted to be with his mom and i understand that you know you 
you're young, you want to be with mom. Yes, you love grandma Betty and you love auntie Yasa and auntie Atala and and auntie Malika, but you want, you want mommy. And even though all five of your aunties love you, you, you want, especially when you know your mom's there, you, you want to be with your mom. And according to him, Malcolm, the reason why he set fire to the apartment, see, so yeah, Betty died in a fire. He set fire into the apartment around May, end of May. And Betty was 63 only. He set fire to the apartment. Not to kill Betty. It was just because he wanted to get into serious trouble that they would have to, they'd have, she'd have no choice but to send him back to Kribula. But as I said, Betty is superwoman. Betty Shabazz is superwoman. They wrote about Superwoman, you know, and they and they didn't realise that the real Superwoman is better to buzz, minus the whole knocking the podcast and, and the knocking the pod with her cousin, Cal L and all that stuff. But she ran from her room because she saw the fire was outside Malcolm's room. She thought, oh my gosh, Malcolm must still be in there. And she's a mother of six. And then she's looking after her child's child. So she not only put on the cape as a mother, but also a grandmother. And she went running through the fire just to get to him. But she, oh, poor mother, poor grandmother burnt. And then the bit where Yasa gets a call that her mother's been in the fire. I, I can't imagine what it's like to lose a parent. I've thankfully not lost my parents yet, but um. In that in such a moment, Elias said she dropped the phone and she was like, "Oh my God, really?" And she was, yeah, like any normal person, any other person, you're 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 crying, and I just my heart just dropped. I'm thinking because I've read it on the internet that she died in the fire that was set by Malcolm, but I was just thinking, you know, that, that it's just the internet putting out information, not putting the personal things, but. You know, and I know how close Eliasa is to her mum, judging by what she's written in this book. And I'm just thinking, what? I was just, oh, God. And poor Eliasa, poor she's trying to, she's trying to be strong in front of her mum. And, you know, I think, yes. It's always Jamila. I've just realised it. It's always Jamila. Anyway, she said she didn't want Jamila to come in and see because she knew Jamila wouldn't be able to handle it. She'd be bawling. And it reminds me of a situation earlier on in their childhood when they, when Ilyasa was climbing a tree and then she slipped on cat poop. I know that sounds... It's really to laugh. It's really funny. She's climbing a tree and she sits on cat poop and then she went flying downward. The bit where she broke her arm is not funny, but the fact the, the bit where she sits on cat poop is funny. Sorry, she should be laughing. Anyway, and Portia Miller, I think she's like four or five at the time, and she's crying and she's like, oh my God, Elias is hurt. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking, that's so cute. And I'm thinking, but it's just that she's a five-year-old, so I didn't realise that, you know, crying and screaming is not going to solve, it's not going to mend Elias's hands. But she was just still crying anyway. And then, but you know, I thought it was also sweet that she didn't want, she didn't want to hurt her sister that much. That she, 
said, you know what, sis, it's okay, it's calm, you know. Oh, poor mum. And then June 23rd, their mother passed away. Um, I, I can't believe third degree burns and she spent, she, she lived more than 20 days. With third degree burns, do people live more, longer than a day? Weren't my scientists at? <laughs> if you can answer that question. But um, anyway, I told you, what's her name? Betty Tobias is a superwoman. And she deserves her own national holiday. And if America doesn't want to give her that, that's fine. We'll, we'll celebrate it on Instagram together. Don't forget, mark it in your calendar. The 28th of May. I repeat, 28th of May, three days before the end of May. There you go. And even after um, uh, Betty's death, there were a lot of people who did recognise her for her work, that even though it wasn't televised as much as her her husband's speeches, she still made an impact and people remember her for that. And, you know, I think that this whole book, Growing Up X... It is, like life, it has a mixture of emotions. You laugh, you're like, oh, And then there's times you're like, you're crying for the... You're, I don't know about you, but who else, when you're watching a, a, real li- a, a, a movie or reading a book based on real life, you're crying through... Well, not really physically crying, but your heart's like crying for the characters in the book or the people in the book. You know, I don't know. If you do, well, same for me, but, you know, I was going through... Especially when I just saw the pictures of them at their different stages of life. And then, as I said, it's, it's a memoir. So it's all her emotions and what she felt at that time, what she can remember she felt and what she did. I can just imagine that, damn. <laughs> you know, it must, must have been so exciting. It must have been so painful. And I think that's about it. But, yeah, growing up ex buy it read it um i do recommend this book if you are 12 plus because there's a lot of guidance you have to deal with catty girls in the neighborhood annoying boys handsome boys uh abusive boys annoying white people good white people annoying black people and then the black people you should be around. Um, yeah, just generally about everything. Oh, yeah. And people in university. I am not looking forward to university. I'm going in September. God willing. That something doesn't have come up. But, you know. Um, but, yeah, if you're not 12 plus, I don't really recommend it. But um, I do... I do recommend the okay i already said that anyway i don't i haven't done podcasts in a while so i've forgotten how i used to end it so it's kind of awkward but anyway thanks for listening and i'll ask you guys what other podcasts should i do about i have about three suggestions and you'll comment down what you want all right thanks for listening buy the book it's on amazon by the way uh okay the price is on the book but yeah, it's on Amazon, so no excuse, guys. Just buy the book and read it. I read this book in a week, and I'm sorry it took me this long to 
make a review but we've made a review so bye